Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. Hey, guys. Hey, I want to encourage you. Obviously, Sean's already been yelling at you from the stage about getting involved. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up to serve for the Hope Troy Drive, this is the time we want to know so we start preparing everybody for that. So just go up to the Welcome Center outside these doors here and let them know, hey, I want to participate. Even if you could give a half a day, a couple hours, whatever you can, it all helps uh, to serve people in the neighborhood, especially during this season as we're coming out of COVID. We want to bless some families. We want you to be a part of that. Uh, it's going to be a long day, obviously, but it's going to be a blessed day. And I know it's just, it's a, it's a point where we get to just minister to, to people right where they're at at the park, in the church, wherever it is. Um, I believe that God has some divine meetings for us as a church to meet some people that we can invite them into the family and, and, and get to know them as they get to know us. Amen? So after church, go run over there. Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. The book of Jonah, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning as we've been doing a sermon series uh, titled Mercy. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the prophet's displeasure. The prophet's displeasure. I know many of you had, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. right? I hope you got to meet your family and your friends and everybody was there. But I know if, if just like you or just like me, when you go to the store or you ever been to the market, you see a little child throw a tantrum. You ever seen? I have, right? They're angry at the fact that they are not getting what they want and they will cry they will scream, they will throw themselves on the floor in order to get what they want. That's exactly what you find in chapter four of Jonah. It's, it's Jonah throwing a temper tantrum. He's having a, a pity party. He's upset and displeased with God for not getting what he really wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. In fact, chapter four really reveals the heart of, of Jonah. He is a prophet still in work. Think about that. He's a, he's a pastor still in work. He's a man of God still in work. And he, he seems to make a turn, we know, as we study chapter 2. Obeys in chapter 3 as he goes and preaches the gospel. And we see the power of the gospel. And then now we see kind of him stumble in chapter 4. But I want you to understand it's part of Jonah's faith journey. Jonah has a faith journey, just like all of us have a faith journey. And there's some work that God still needs to do in the life of Jonah, like there's still work that God needs to do in our own life as we're on our own faith journey. Jonah is not any different than us. Amen. We may have some imperfections of our own faith and we have moments where we get it right and there's moments where we stumble in our own faith. Chapter four is God's conversation with Jonah and his anger regarding the outcome of Nineveh. The Lord is through with Nineveh in the story, but he's not through with Jonah. I want you to hear that. He might be through with dealing with the Ninevites. They've come to know the Lord, but there's some still some work that needs to be done in the life of Jonah. Guys, we're almost finishing up this book. We're going to finish it up next week. But I want you to remember that the Lord is the hero of the story. We've seen God's character play throughout the story, his patience with Jonah, his pardon of Jonah, his power through Jonah, and now his pity for Jonah. We're going to see that as we journey through chapter 4 here. 
Let's pray as we get into the word this morning. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And I pray this morning as we look at your word, Father, we ask that you would speak to us. Father, you would speak to us because I know there's work that you're still doing in us today. There's work that you're trying to do through us and in us and and for your glory, Lord. And Father, just like you're still doing a work in Jonah's life, you're still doing a work in our life. And so, Lord, as we look at our own issues this morning, as Jonah had issues, Father, you never want us to, to be what we were. You want to transform us. You love us right where we are, but you don't leave us right where we're at. And so, Father, we pray your hand upon our time this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody says? Amen. We're going to look at three things this morning as we look at the prophet's displeasure. First in Jonah, verse 1, Jonah's displeasure with God. Jonah's displeasure with God. Look at verse 1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. We know that the word but there is a transitional word, Right? Got to go all the way back to chapter three of what God had been doing through Jonah. Jonah's walking through a city and he's preaching this message in some ways of repentance, basically using eight words saying, in 40 days, God's going to bring judgment on you, right? That basically was his message. It wasn't even a hopeful message. It was a judgmental message. But what happened through those eight words is the whole city repented and went into fasting and called on the Lord and God relented. From his judgment, he, he stopped, he, he turned his own heart. The word relented means repented or changed his mind or turned his heart. That he didn't bring judgment on the Ninevites. But there was a reason why Jonah was angry this morning. You know, patriotism is something we all have. We love our country. People died for the freedoms we have and we honor them. We have rights here that no other country has. But we cannot be out of balance with our patriotism. In fact, C.S. Lewis, a veteran himself, says, we all know that this love becomes a demon when it becomes a god. Listen, we have seen an explosion of national pride that can be unhealthy. But I don't want you to throw out the baby with the bathwater here. I don't want to throw out patriotism out. Jesus loved his own country and he wept over his own city. He loved the diversity of people and he died for all people and he created a church community of faith with a variety of backgrounds. The problem we're having in the story, the problem of chapter four here is Jonah. He had put national pride before God's word and spiritual good of all people. His love for his people has become toxic in the sense that he hated other people. But a bigger problem was his anger toward God, that the heart of God did not line up with Jonah's heart or wishes. So let's continue with this story this morning. First of all, we see God's mercy for others, for God's mercy for others displeased Jonah. God's mercy for others displeased Jonah, as scripture says. Chapter four reveals that you can do the right thing with the wrong heart or motive. You can do the right thing for the wrong, with the wrong heart and wrong motive. In verse one of chapter four, what, it, it gives us a description of what was going on with Jonah. The scripture says that Jonah was exceedingly displeased. Exceedingly means he, was in, he had some intensity about his displeasure. He was emotional about the outcome of Nineveh. Jonah was displeased to the, with the fact that the Lord had relented and changed his mind regarding his plans of the judgment of the Ninevites. But when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the Bible's whole 
God's heart is that people would come to know him. That's God's heart, that he would have a relationship. So it wasn't uncommon that God would often relent when he pronounced judgment on people. You only had to read in 1 Kings chapter 21 about Ahab, the king Ahab, who was the king of Israel, who, had a, who was a wicked man, an ungodly king. And in the story, God sends a, a, a Elijah out and gives a message like, dude, you're going to die. And when Ahab heard that story, it says he rent his clothes, he, he tore his clothes, he, he fasted and prayed to God for forgiveness, and God heard him, right? And he didn't bring judgment on him. He saw his humility, and he didn't bring calamity on him. We find these stories throughout the Old Testament. We find that with Isaiah. We find that with Hezekiah the king who had a sickness, and he, God was going to kill him and get your house in order, but... The prophet comes and says, and he pleads, and God gives him 15 more years. We find it with Jeremiah, the story of Jeremiah, with Israel and Jer Jeremiah 18. It wasn't uncommon that when the people were doing wrong and they changed their heart, that God changed his heart. That wasn't uncommon, and yet you think that this is the only story. Jonah's the only person that has experienced this, yet there are many who experienced the grace and the mercy of God. We see that throughout the stories. God is often compassionate to nations that, that repent. It is God's desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You would think that the prophet would have rejoiced over the work of his preaching. You would think that he would have been celebrating with God in heaven about the turned hearts. You would think he would be throwing a, a heavenly party, a, a Holy Ghost party for the work that had been done. You would think that would be his heart. Any preacher in his right mind would have been so excited about the outcome of their preaching. Not Jonah. Not Jonah. He was putting his patriotism before his role as a prophet and a preacher. He idolizes his ethnicity over the work of God that God had called him to. He forgot his own prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Jonah was upset with God's mercy. Why? Because Jonah missed the fact that God has extended mercy to Nineveh just like he extended mercy to him in the valley of a great fish. He missed it. Sometimes we can miss the mercy of God and the love of God and the compassion of God. For mercy was what God required of us. The minor prophet Micah says that in Micah 6, 8, what? He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That was the heart of God. He should have been celebrating the mercy of God. But he chose not to, Jonah. He was acting like the elder, elder son in the prodigal son story. You remember that story in Luke 15, Right? The father extended mercy to the son, but the elder brother did not extend mercy to the son. And sometimes, guys, we forget about the God's goodness in our life, and we fail to extend mercy to people that haven't gotten it right yet. Jonah still being dealt with by God. He's trying to expose his shortcomings. He's trying to expose his issues. He's trying to expose his weakness. In fact, in the New Testament, we have a story in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus gives a parable to Peter about mercy. 
about grace, about forgiveness. A king calls a, a servant in the story who owed him millions and millions of dollars, but he couldn't pay it. And so the king said, throw him into to the prison and, and his whole family until he could pay. But the, the servant came to the king and said, Will you, no, no, please forgive me. Please, let me, I'll pay you back. And it's the Bible says that he, the king was moved with compassion and mercy. And so he forgave all his debt and let him go. But that servant who was forgiven, he went out and went to find those that owed him money, thousands of dollars. Grabbed him said, by the throat and says, what? You owe me money. Pay me back. I can't pay you back. Throw him into the prison. And they threw him into the prison, his whole family, until they pay the debts. And others saw that and they went and reported it to the king. And the king called the unforgiving servant to him and said, you evil servant, I forgave you the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had to pay the entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your hearts. That's a story from Jesus' own words, right? We have to understand the character of God and the nature of God. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that we should all come to repentance. That was the heart of God for Nineveh. But what did this displeasure do in Jonah's life, in his heart? Jonah's displeasure led to intense anger. In fact, the Hebrew word anger here is a strong word. It means to be heated up, to kindled, to be furious, to be, to be livid. Jonah was about to blow his top with what had happened. You know, when we have unresolved hurt, disappointment, disillusionment, it can lead to anger and bitterness. We have that stuff going on inside. It's like poison in us. And it festers like a bad wound that doesn't get cleaned. And, and, and when we have that in our hearts, it's a trigger for us. It's a, there's things that will happen in, in our own world, in, in our work, or in our homes, or wherever. We, it will trigger us. Maybe these are some triggers. Maybe somebody at work gets more benefits or favor than you. It triggers you. You get angry. Maybe you feel like your parents loved your siblings more than they loved you. Maybe it's triggered you that way. Maybe you're upset with God because he, answered, he hasn't answered your prayers. Come on, come on, come on. Or maybe God has favored others over you and gave them better families than the families you grew up in. Maybe you're upset. Maybe you are upset, have been diso disobedient. And you feel like God has abandoned you. Maybe there's some things in us that can trigger us today in our own anger. Jonah is battling with some unresolved issues with God. Verse two, we're going to get a little bit more deeper about what those issues are. I want you understanding something about anger. Anger is an emotion. 
It's an emotion. It's, it, we have many emotions. God created us with many emotions, and we, we feel joy, we feel sadness, we feel anger, we feel peace, discontentment, overflowing joy. But here, Jonah's anger triggered, was triggered by God's mercy, and he was angry at God. Maybe some of you are angry at God today, right? Maybe you, you felt let down because God didn't do what he said he was going to do. Maybe you feel that way. Un unresolved issues, when buried and not addressed or confessed, will manifest at some point. If you have unresolved issues, you have anger in your life, it's going to come out. It's going to boil over. It's going to steam over like a boiling pot. It's going to happen. It's going to come out in your words. It's going, to, it's going to come out in your actions. It's going to come out in some way, but it's going to come out because it was never meant to be kept in. That's what anger will do. I say that anger is an emotion because it can, it can be easily swayed. Maybe you get news of one of your family members that was killed by a drunken driver. Maybe, maybe you hear about your grandparent or your grandfather that was killed by a drunken, drunken diver, driver. And you're angry. You're angry at the one that took your grandfather's life. And then you hear the fact that he had been reserving a blessing for you and saved, been saving money for you, you find out there's a million dollars in the account for you. Did that just change your emotion a little bit? Come on now. But I'm angry. Whoa. Um. So easily our emotions can be manipulated by what we know, experience, and do. Thank God for his Holy Spirit in us to control our emotions because he's given us the spirit of self-control. But here, there are times where we are justified in our anger. There's times where there's injustice. There, there are times where things are bad and we have a right to be angry. But even in that right, we're not to marinate it or settle in or simmer in our anger. The apostle Paul, who was treated unjustly and put in prison, said to cast off wrath and anger and he would write from a jail these very words, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger. He says there are times where we're called to be angry, but don't let the sun go down on the anger. Make sure it doesn't get the best of you. Make sure it doesn't take advantage of you. It doesn't grip you. It doesn't become a stronghold in your life. Jonah's feeling like things are unjust and he's sitting and meditating on the injustice or I should I say perceived injustice of what has just been just transpired. Let me tell you this, the Lord will not let us marinate in this mess. He will address our messes in our life. The question is, are you willing to face these issues head on because God is? He deals with the inward man. He deals with the inward person. He will deal with our brokenness. He will deal with the, with the issues that are from within. And if, it's, if one of those is anger, he will deal with that. Come on. And he begins to deal with that in chapter 4 with Jonah's displeasure and his anger. But look what Jonah does as he's sharing his anger with the Lord. They're having a conversation in a prayer time here. And Jonah's second point is Jonah's justification for his displeasure. He gives a reason for his displeasure in verses two and three. Like we, we like to justify our action as a culture instead of being justified by faith, we rather justify our sin. 
I remember when I was a, a little boy, my brother and my brother is about a year younger than I. And back in the day when you used to run the neighborhood, like we used to ride bikes and play football and you could hang out in the front porch and not feel like somebody's going to snatch you up. You know what I mean? When the kids could play in the neighborhood, it was safe. I remember we told our parents, we're going to go visit a friend down the street, down the block. We're going to hang out with them. And my parents told me what they said. Okay, you got to be back by this time. At that time, it used to be, you had to be back by the time the street lights got turned off. Come on now. I don't know if you remember, but when the street lights got turned off, that was the time you needed to be home, right? When the lights come on, turn off, you got to be home. So I remember we're having a good time with my friend down the, down the street, and then the lights started getting dark, and I noticed the lights, and I said, hey, Jay, we got to go, but why don't you go ahead and go? I'll come in a minute. And so he went, but I stayed longer. I stayed late more to play my friend. I was an hour late. So by the time I got home, my parents were upset with me. Like, what, what was it that you, what was the rule? What was it? You, I was supposed to be on my life, but you disobeyed me. And then I said, yeah, but I sent my brother Jason at the right time. <laughs> I began to justify my disobedience by my deeds. Like, I looked out for my brother, but that was the problem. You disobeyed your parents. What's going on here is Jonah is trying to justify his anger. He's trying to justify why he's feeling the way he's feeling. And he's kind of calling God out on it. He's mad at God. And we're going to see that in the story here. Look at verse 2, the justification for his displeasure. We see this. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled to previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and, and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Man, Jonah, you just want to spiritualize everything. Jonah is spiritualizing his justification. I, I see here, you know, he, he's, he's offering up a prayer. I'm going to get spiritual. Man, come on, Jonah. Instead of praying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, he was like the Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collectors or sinners. He had a self-centered prayer. Notice the I and the me in verses two and three. It's all about him. A narcissistic prophet. So he prayed to the Lord. He's going to justify his rebelliousness that we read about in chapter one, why he ran to Tarshish, why he went east when he should have went west. And he's, he's complaining to the Lord. He's complaining to him. It's your fault. Remember the story in chapter one, why he ran to Tarshish? He's given reason why. Because I know you're so good. I'm going to run, Right? He's blaming God for his actions. Isn't that what Adam did about Eve in the garden? It was you that gave me that woman. It's your fault. He didn't want to take responsibility for his own actions. And Jonah doesn't want to take responsibilities for his own actions. I know you would show your grace to everyone. But God, do you really know what you're doing? <laughs> That's what he's doing in his prayer. Do you, do, you, do you really know what you're doing, God? This is the attitude by which Jonah's praying and complaining. Jonah, being a prophet, would have known God's word as a prophet. In fact, what he's doing, he's quoting Exodus 34, 6 in his prayer. 
The Lord was speaking to Moses in this passage and says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. It's interesting how in his complaining and his anger toward God, he's spitting out scripture. Hey God, I know you're like this. Isn't that what the enemy did at the temptation of Jesus? He spit out scripture. He twisted it, but he spit it out to blame God. But Jonah knows the the character of God. We see that in, in this passage. He knows the character of God. For I know that you are, he opens up. I know that you are. I'm familiar with your ways, God. D.L. Moody, the the famous Civil War chaplain, said this, some people have just enough religion to make them miserable. I'm going to say that again. Some people have just enough religion to make them miserable. Some people have just enough feet in the church, but not of Jesus. Jonah knew enough about God that he sat for 40 days in the desert, pouting and angry with God for not fulfilling his part of the deal. You fail to judge people. (laughs) You know, we can get like Jonah and have a Jonah-like spirit when we say or think the things that we think or say the things that we say. Things like this. They're only sorry because they got caught. I can't believe they changed their life. It's only a matter of time before they're back to the way they used to live. They don't deserve God's love. They are horrible people. How easily we can bring judgment on people. But he says, I know your character. That's why I ran. I know what kind of God you are. You're gracious. You're courteous. You're pleasant. You give favor to the undeserved. You give blessings to those who really don't Aren't, aren't even, should receive blessings. You're merciful and you're compassionate, forgiving, and you show pity on people. And you're slow to anger and you're patient and you, you give the benefit of the doubt to people. You're abundant in loving kindness, your goodness and kind-hearted. You're one who relents from doing harm. You're a comforter and you're one who changes your mind. I hope that's the God that you know. That that's the God that you experience. Because when you understand and know the character of God, it goes a long way in your walk with God. Because there's an enemy who wants to slander you. Who wants to bring lies your way. He has a character too. He knows he's called the murderer from the beginning, the God of this age, Beelzebub, the liar. He has a character too. It was because of the character of God that Ninevites were blessed. In fact, Joel 2.13 says, So rent your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. The prophet Joel knew the character of God. Jonah knew the character of God. Many of the prophets knew the character of God. But what did his anger lead to? What was it did his displeasure lead to? Look at this. His displeasure led to suicidal ideations. Look at verse 3. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is far better for me to die than to live. Man. Jonah's battling with his own identity as a prophet. He's battling with his own identity as a prophet. Right? He was given a mission by God to reveal the judgment of God on Nineveh, and it didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, it would, he would have been considered, he would have been considered a false prophet, and the consequences of a false prophet was death. You read that in Deuteronomy. So what jo Jonah was really saying was, I'm, ready, I'm already dead, prophet, kill me now. Because that was the consequences of a false prophet. In fact, I think what's really going on, he's more concerned about his, rep, his reputation than about the people's salvation. He was struggling with his own identity as a, as a servant. His ego was getting in the way, right? Or maybe Jonah might have sunk it into self-pity because God had not served Jonah's self-interest, right? Sometimes we become depressed because things have not worked out the way we wanted them to. See, the thing about Jonah's prayer is God didn't answer it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. He didn't answer it. Kill me. Some prayers are never meant to be answered. Maybe some of the prayers that aren't answered in your life just might have saved you. Maybe the unanswered prayers in your life are the things by which God is protecting you because he sees the whole picture. You don't see the whole picture. All of you don't realize you're all the Mr. Magoos of the Bible going through and there's all this crazy danger happening and you don't even realize how God is saving you and protecting you from your own poor decisions and craziness of life and all that you've done. You're still here today because of his grace and mercy. But he chose to look at death rather than life. He missed his mission. He missed his purpose. Paul, even in the middle of his mess, even in the middle of his, of his jail sentence and serving time in prison, was hoping to be with God but understand his mission. We read that in the book of Philippians where he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. What Paul was saying is, yeah, I want to die. I want to go be with Jesus. But right now, your purpose for me is to serve others and to be able to proclaim the message. And so, God, if this is what you want for me, then to be on this side of heaven, to do your will and your purpose and your mission, then I'm willing to stay, realizing my heart is for the Lord. But that day will come. And it'll be glorious. Jonah missed that. He missed that. You know, sometimes a great work of God can lead to bouts of depression. I know this as a pastor, and I know the pastors here probably will resonate with what I'm about to say. They say the greatest battle for pastor is not Sunday, but Monday. 
The enemy will work overtime to discourage him in his work. You see a great work going on, but understand that the next day we have to battle with our own insecurities and all crazy and what we did do and what we should have done and how we could have done something better or did we do enough or all those different. And that plays in the minds of pastors. Did I bear a good testimony? God, am I following you? Where did I mess up, God? Where can I do better? And we start getting in this work theology, identity problem issues. Instead of this saying, God, you're doing a great work. I just trust you in it. Jonah does a great work, and now he's dealing with his own shortcomings as a prophet. I think of Elijah, the prophet who battled the prophets of Baal. You might know that story in Kings, where he challenged them, and all these prophets, these pagan priests, and, and came, and he, he challenged them, hey, we're going to put an altar here, right? And, and we're going to put water and a sacrifice, and you call on your God. And these prophets have called on the God, and for hours, all day, they're calling to, to, to deal with, to bring fire from heaven to, to consume the, the sacrifice, and it says that the prophets of Baal were calling on God and cutting themselves, and, and the prophet Elijah's saying, man, where's your God at? It actually says this, is your God in the bathroom busy? It says that in the scriptures. Look it up in Kings. Where is your, where is your God? And the prophet Elijah's making fun of all these prophets. They're cutting themselves, they're crying out, and nothing happened. And then Elijah calls on the, the Lord. He calls on God of the heavens, and he, cons- water, he puts water, and he consumes it. And he consumes it. Then he kills the prophets of Baal. But the next day, the king and his wife come after him. And he flees. He just had a great victory. He just see the power of God, and he flees into the wilderness afraid about what happened. And he calls on God, God, just kill me now, God. There's this crazy woman after me. <laughs> Read the story. I want to die. Guys, we get in depressions after great victories in our walk with God. The next day might be the worst day. Because it's spiritual. There's a battle. Because the enemy, he'll just nitpick us and come after us and that's what he does how does God respond to Jonah's displeasure this is the third thing Jonah is graciously rebuked by God I say graciously even though it may not seem like that but remember what's the character of God what is he how he's been dealing with Jonah throughout the whole book preparing storms and Preparing whales. Later in the next week, we look at preparing plants, preparing worms. You can prepare a lot of things. Look at verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? <laughs> Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Really? We're all familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed Abel out of jealousy when the Lord didn't receive Cain's offering. Then the Lord asked him several questions prior to killing his brother. He says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will, not be, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Jonah, sin is lying at the door. It's knocking. If you just do well, why are you angry, right? 
It's the Lord's gentle rebuke to, to Jonah. I think the better wording for this verse is, is it right for you to be angry because of well-doing? Are you mad because it all turned out for the good? Why are you mad, Jonah? What are you upset about? This is a good thing. I love the dialogue between the Lord and Jonah because that's what God wants to do. He wants to dialogue with us. You know what we want to do in our culture? We want to debate. We want to fight, right? I'm right, you're wrong. That's debating. The, the word debate means to beat down. God is not trying to beat down Jonah here. He's trying to have a dialogue with Jonah. God is not angry with Jonah, but Jonah's angry with God. And yet God's trying to have a dialogue with him. Again, we see what? God's patience with Jonah. God's patience with us sometimes when we get mad at God, right? What is the Lord trying to do with Jonah here? The Lord is helping him see the correct picture. He wants him to see the, the whole picture, right? He's trying to get Jonah to see the, from a kingdom perspective, not a human perspective. Sometimes we see the world through a human eyes, not from the kingdom perspective, not from God's perspective, not from his eyes. In the book of Jonah, we see God's love for the undeserving world. And we have to be imitators of God to see the world the same way God sees the world. See, because sometimes in our walk with God, he needs to correct our, our vision. I don't know if you, but when this COVID thing happened, and we started wearing masks, and someone's still wearing masks today. Okay, you wear masks, and your glasses get fogged up, right? Yeah, you remember, you're like, oh, snap, I can't see. You know, you're trying to, okay, trying to take your glasses off, right? Well, when they fog up, what, you, you can't see anything. You can't see what's out in front of you, right? It reminds me of the story in the Gospel of Mark about the blind man who Jesus, what, he spits, on his face to see his eyes, and he he he. But and then he asked, he asked, "What do you see? Ah, I see men like trees." And then Jesus touched him, and he completely healed him. Right? Sometimes God has to do that work of our vision a little bit. Sometimes He has to begin to clean our eyesight out a little bit, so we can see it from a kingdom perspective, not a worldly perspective. From God's heart, not our own heart, because our heart is just be wicked. See, when the Spirit comes and, and we're, we're walking with God, we got to live in a way that God's Word says we're called to live through that perspective, and that's hard because we can't do it without the Spirit. In our own flesh, it's about me, about Peter, about me, myself, and I. That's what it's about. But when God changes us from within, now we, we don't become self-centered, we become other-centered. We begin to see it from God's God. Lord, I'm praying, how do you want me to handle this situation? How, how do you want me to see this situation? How do you want me to respond? Because right now I'm getting really, really angry about this situation. But God, you're in me now. You live in me. How am I to navigate through this circumstance or situation that I'm angry about? Help me, help me to have your heart. Help me to have your eyes. Help me to walk in your ways. Because your ways are not like my ways. Your ways are higher than my ways. And so we are called to walk that way. When Abraham and Lot were fighting over land, what did he do? Abraham, the elder, the patriarch of the family, Lot's uncle, took a step back. You, you get to have it. Lot took the watered land, if you remember Genesis. But that got him in trouble. 
He ended up in Lot. He ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He humbled Abraham humbled himself to be a servant. But maybe we need to ask the same question that the Lord asked. We must determine whether our anger is legitimate or illegitimate. We just need to be careful that our anger does not become strongholds that need to be broken, though, if we marinate in it. So my question I bring to you this morning is this. How do we free ourselves from self-righteous anger? The stuff that has been building up with us. I think first, we have to be cut to the heart by the gospel. Listen, we are sinners saved by grace. We are sinners saved by grace. So we can't, we have to be careful that we're not throwing rocks, especially if we live in a glass house. Understand what God's done in us. Understand his love and compassion toward us. Number two, second, realize that we have been chosen from the foundation of the world and he's adopted us as sons and daughters. We're now part of his family. We're part of his family. We're family. <laughs> and we have to treat each other like family. And family, there's dysfunction sometimes, so we need to be gracious in the dysfunction. We're not, we're not perfect in this family. We're far from that. That's why we need God's grace and mercy as a family. That Gentile world that got saved is now part of God's family. <laughs> but you don't think a lot of their experiences, culture, what they learned growing up in the Ninevites all of a sudden disappeared? No. Guys, for some of you, you just came to know the Lord and you're, maybe you're in your 40s or 50s, but you've been in the world for 40 or 50 years. You don't think overnight that it's all of a sudden, I'm gonna, everything's gonna be rosy? You don't think that ugly Buried dog that you've been trying to crucify won't raise its up head up again? Right? That way we talk and the way we walk sometimes, you know, you're, you have a swag that might need to look a little different now. The way you talk might need to be sizzling a little. But does that mean it goes away overnight? God is, God is renewing us day by day. Amen? He's renewing us day by day. Now, if you come to the Lord and you're one year in the Lord, you're one year in the Lord. I want to see you walking like one year in the Lord. But if you're 50 years in the Lord, you may not be acting like you're one year in the Lord. Right? Right? You, you hear what I'm saying? Like, like if you have kids and they're one year right now, but when they're 18 and they're acting like they're one year old, you got a problem. You got a problem. There's some, there's some real dysfunction there. There has to be some spiritual development in that. So what we struggled one year, Lord, may not what we were struggling 30 years in the Lord. Okay? You see what, you see what I'm saying? I'm not justifying your behavior. I don't want to do that. But you grow in the Lord. Here's the last thing here, guys. Third, we must, we must come to believe there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God did not come to condemn us, but to convict us. Condemnation is from the devil. Conviction is by the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. God is about convicting us to change us from within. Maybe when you're ready to drop that F-bomb, you catch your tongue, because I know some of you dropped them in front of me. Come on now. 
But I know God's doing a work in you. I know God's doing a work in you, so that's why I get to hang out with you. Because Jesus hang out with tax collectors and sinners also. And he got blasted for it. We need to hang out with each other and iron sharpens iron and patience will be poured out that you can be matured. Guys, you don't think the Hope Toy Drive you're going to run into a lot of mess out there? With issues and ugliness, and broken families and whatever is going to come its way. We as a church have to begin to be prepared for that. To, to extend that love. We are the Jonahs going out to the Ninevites coming in the next couple of weeks. Come on now. We need to extend mercy. We need to extend grace. So I close here this morning. Three things just to remind us. We need to guard ourselves from a judgmental spirit. From a judgmental spirit. Jonah had a judgmental spirit. God, let me not be like the Pharisees. I'm glad I'm not like those tax collectors and sinners. God, I don't act like them. No, Jesus died for you too. Here's the second thing. Our understanding of God's character strengthens our faith. Get into your word and read about the character of God. Read, when you read, read about his character. What is God like? That will speak a lot to your faith. He will. Lastly, God's word is the lens by which we see life circumstances. By which we see life circumstances. God, give me your eyes and your heart today. That I can live in a way that's honorable to you. In my marriage, in my relationships, at my job, in my school, in education, on the street, in, at the grocery store. When I watch football games on Sunday morning on TV and my team's losing. I'm going to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You hear what I'm saying, guys? We're getting ready to do this great work coming up. Hope Tub Drive is one of our biggest outreaches. We as a people have to be ready to love, to extend compassion, and be gracious with the people that we serve. Because you're going you're gonna to be challenged in your faith in it. But God is good. Amen? Amen. Father heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for how you're working, Lord. You're working in your people. And I pray this morning... As we close, Lord, I pray your hand upon your people, Lord. If, Father, if there's any, your, your, your psalmist writes, if there's any wicked way in me, Lord, cleanse me. If there's anything that you have to deal with in my own heart, God, Lord, reveal it. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Give me a renewed spirit. And Lord, I pray for your people today. Maybe they're disillusioned by their circumstances. Maybe they're upset with you because things haven't worked out the way they thought they should work out. But Lord, I pray that you begin to change the lens of their seeing and their sight, that they would see your character of your patience. Trusting you, Lord, that you're working it all out for the good, even when they don't see it. Lord, I pray your blessings upon your people this morning, that they would taste and find that you're good. Lord, we thank you for your word and the reading and the teaching of your word that it be a blessing to us in our spirit, in our hearts, in our minds, that we would leave this place, Father, rejoicing in you. 
And Lord, I know as we gather for lunch right after service, Lord, that, Father, we can bring an encouraging word to one another, a blessing to one another as we break bread together. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.